Where Will We Work Now? The Future of Office, a Tangent Original Series. By now, odds are you've either worked from a co-working space, heard about them, or are listening from one right now. And today, over 3 million use co-working spaces worldwide. The way and where we work has changed forever. Remote, hybrid, flexible, it's a whole new world out there. Yet, face-to-face -face interaction is more needed than ever. In this new series, Jeffrey Berman, Zach Ahrens and Edward Cohen will explore the future of the workplace and how office spaces are being reshaped. We'll take you on a journey to understand how the very nature of office buildings is evolving. How did we get here? And where are we heading? Join us as we explore the modern office and how PropTech founders, real estate owners and operators, and VC investors are reimagining its role across cities. Because in real life, and an office, will always be where innovation meets collaboration. Hi, welcome to Tangent. I'm Edward Cohen. Today on Tangent, we have Catherine Lau, CEO and co-founder at Stuff, the next-generation self-storage startup delivering modern tech-enabled storage to consumer and businesses. Kat was also the VP of real estate at Industrious, the nation's leading premium workplace and co-working provider. Hi, Kat. Where does this podcast find you? Uh, downtown New York in our office right now, uh, out of a parking space, funny enough. Nice. Now, Kat, stuff storage. Take us back to the beginnings. How did you come up with the idea? What market need did you detect from the property owner side from the renter side that wasn't being fulfilled by existing solutions in the market? Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a convoluted or indirect way to get here. But uh, I started my career on the landlord side. I was at PGM, LNL, spent a couple of years in asset management development, um, and then moved over to the occupier side. So I was at Equinox uh, for about a year. And then, as you mentioned, uh, head of real estate at Industrious for, for several years. And the reason I mentioned that is because I would just visit a lot of buildings. You know, I'd look at a tour, an office building, retail, multifamily, and um, these brokers would show me great space. Uh, but oftentimes we'd go through the amenity area and they'd say, hey, look at the conference room, look at the golf simulator, look at this, look at that. And I'd be like, wait, we just walked by a huge basement or all this unparked garage space or, hey, what, what are you doing in that mechanical room? And it just seemed really wasteful because I'd, I'd been on the landlord side. So I knew every dollar counted or every square foot counted. And so during the pandemic, um, everyone was home. We were all baking bread or, or cooking or whatever, but um, I wasn't very good at it. So I started thinking about different business ideas. I kept this little notebook of business ideas and every idea that I wrote down was really how do we monetize underutilized real estate? So these these basements, these garages, mechanical floors, back of house space. Um, and initially I wanted to start a ghost kitchen company. Uh, I was gonna call it Maven. And I, I, I was feeling a certain way about all these restaurants that were going out of business. Um, and prior to, or, or earlier in my career, I, I wrote a, a food blog um, at the same time that I was working in real estate. So I, I'm very passionate about food, I love eating. Um, but in talking to a lot of people that were smarter than me, kind of like, don't do ghost kitchens. You don't want to touch that. <laughs> it's really difficult, low margin. You don't want to marry. You don't want to be married to your your restaurant for the rest of your life. Um, so I started talking to VCs about other ideas, like how, how do we how do we monetize this this type of space? And um, thought about everything from data centers, last mile logistics, 
uh, doggy daycare was kind of a funny one. Um, and then hmm. one of my now investors started talking about self storage. And at first I was like, you know what, storage is, you know, it's not sexy, it's not cool. Um, but the more I looked into it, the more I thought that's exactly what makes this an incredible idea, right? To bring it closer to customers, to make it um, a branded experience, to make it something that people actually enjoy rather than something that they avoid. Um, so fast forward to today, we have over 20 locations in seven cities. We are monetizing the space for owners who can make anywhere from 100 to 500,000 in, in additional revenue. Um, and then on the customer side, giving them better storage closer to home that they can really control with their mobile device. So uh, Super it's been a trip. It's been almost four years. Yeah. What a ride. I mean, first, uh, I know you were already competing with uh, co-working giant and category leader WeWork back in the day, but considering going now to compete with Travis Kalanick and their Cloud Kitchens uh, venture, which, <laughs> I mean, Travis is a tremendous entrepreneur, but even even he is having a lot of trouble scaling yeah. the Cloud Kitchens, the Ghost Kitchens uh, business, even though it's, you know, conceptually it's a great idea and there's there's definitely need yeah. from, from the space, uh, but also from the, the end users, right, that rather get delivery or pickup instead of uh, the full restaurant experience. But talking about self-storage, I mean, I think it's absolutely spot on when it comes to, you know, how this older commercial real estate buildings were designed or with the use that was intended for them versus what yeah. is needed, uh, especially in this uh, major metro areas where you are focusing on, right? What what markets and what type of assets uh, have we found yeah. that are a sweet spot to uh, convert and to uh, add self-storage revenue? So our portfolio spans multiple asset classes. We're in office buildings, multifamily, and retail for the most part. Uh, the majority of our portfolio is in office, primarily because that, that's been my network, um, so much yep. network throughout my career. But uh, we see a lot of demand for multifamily. We love it because you have residents in a building, they live in apartments, they, they likely need an extra closet or extra space. Um, and then on the retail side, we do really well with small businesses who need um, storage or you know the space for their inventory or their equipment and things like that. Um, and certainly on the office side, that plays true as well. And uh, the seven markets that we're in include LA, New York, DC, Boston, Atlanta, Seattle, and uh, SF. If I don't count on my fingers, I forget. But uh, People often ask me, oh, does it only work in, in urban, you know, super dense cities? And the answer is no. We actually have locations, um, I think one or two locations in suburban areas. So one of them is Walnut Creek, uh, where we're outside of the, the SF, uh, outside of San Francisco in the Bay Area. Um, and that's a project that we have with Heinz. Um, and so we're doing more and more development and growth in the metro areas, even going outside of the urban core. Um, we just like to focus on on some of the, the higher ROI projects, which happen to be in, in more of the urban centers. Yeah. You hinted at this with, you know, using an empty or underutilized space uh, to generate new revenue. But talk about some of the other benefits for property owners to consider, you know, partnering, working with stuff uh, to diversify their revenue stack. I don't have to spend a lot of time saying most commercial real estate owners are in a tough spot right now. Um, a lot of them are dealing with lender issues, special servicing, cash flow problems. Um, but even aside from that, I, so much of what owners are trying to do today, whether you, whether in the, they're in a good or bad spot, is how do I maximize cash flow? How do I get more rents? Uh, and the spaces that we often look at, they don't show up on a rent roll, um, or they're not spaces that have been underwritten to generate cash flow. And so if we can go to an owner and say, hey, 
not only are we going to do all the work, we're going to convert your space into uh, tech-enabled self-storage. We're going to do all the sales, the marketing, the operations. We're going to handle maintenance. Um, and we'll send you a check every single month. Uh, but not only that, this is also an amenity now for your tenants, right? Most amenities cost money. Your conference center, your gym, all of that is a cost center. But this is an amenity that's both practical and actually makes you money or generates revenue for you. So those are really the two uh, value propositions uh, that we can offer owners. And um, we are really, um, spent a lot of time building a proprietary software. We call it DefOS. Um, and that's the tech enabled piece is uh, the access control, the member dashboard, managing the website. It basically powers the business such that our operations team is really, really lean. Uh, and so our landlords have a lot of confidence in our operations and they want to work with us because we can rely on technology because our security is it's top notch. Right. And yeah, when it comes to uses of their building, I mean, there's, uh, this is pretty much the most peace of mind use. You don't have people living, you don't have people working in there. Uh, it's people storing uh, their items, uh, which I don't think is going yeah. away anytime soon. And more importantly, uh, storage is really sticky. You know, once a customer moves in, they don't want to deal with their stuff. They might think, okay, I'll move out in three months, but then it's like, uh, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next month. And before you know it, it's been a year or maybe even two years. Um, so that's that's the beauty of uh, the stable cash flow street, right? Because customers tend to stay quite a while. The average stay of multifamily might be struggling. Um, we can bring some of the self-storage demand dynamics to your building, even if it's just a portion. Um, and oftentimes we take space that might be windowless retail. Like this is a retail that's really never going to lease. So we can give it some new life. Um, that's actually a project that we're doing here in New York right now. I think there's definitely a lot of that. In terms of the business model and how it works, like how how do you scale a business that <laughs> depends on like CapEx, uh, you know, and, and how do you source new commercial real estate supply? So this is my secret sauce. This is uh, really what you were alluding to how Industrious has an asset reliability light model. Um, I spearheaded that. I pioneered that at Industrious. And we have something very similar with stuff. All of our leases are revenue sharing or percentage rent leases. So there's really no fixed rent obligation. Um, and on the CapEx side, we often will share the costs of the build out with the landlord. In some markets, it, it's a lot more favorable to us um, where we spend very a small chunk, like 10, 15% of the build out. In other markets, it might be a little bit higher because of the the demand in that market. Um, but that's how we're able to uh, scale the portfolio and be a venture-backed company without spending all of our VC dollars on on CapEx. Um, so the majority of our um, our funding goes towards marketing. It goes toward, towards engineering. It goes towards your, your typical corporate overhead, not CapEx. Um, so I think that's what makes it attractive uh, to investors and, and certainly helped us raise our Series A um, last year. So, and, and you know what that environment looked like. That was challenging. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think definitely having lean operations while still delivering uh, value and not, you know, not chasing exorbitant or unrealistic valuations, I think is is uh, what's setting up for success here. Yeah. Talk about your tech stack uh, and what does that look like? You know, what are some of the benefits that you're providing via uh, technology, uh, whether it be seamless access or just streamlining communication to make sure uh, owners and renters are up to date with uh, their whatever they need to be. Yeah. So StuffOS is our proprietary management software. We had looked at uh, other self-storage management software 
that we could buy off the shelf. And really everything that we found felt like it should be operating on Windows XP. It just felt like it was 20 years old or it felt really inflexible. It, it couldn't integrate with different um, uh, other solutions or IoT that we wanted. So we decided to build our own. Um, and one thing that that's really important is access and security, right? We need our customers to have uh, secure access into and out of the buildings. We need our landlords to have assurances that, hey, we know who's coming in, how often, we're tracking all this. So uh, I, one of the, the the top things that the that StuffOS does, it integrates with different access control systems, whether it's Brevo, DataWatch, Castle, um, uh, uh, OpenPath, uh, so we can build these APIs um, and connect to devices that are already installed or that we install. Uh, that gives us visibility into who's coming in and out. Um, we also have integrations with um, smart cameras and other IoT sensors, things like that, uh, because we don't have anybody on site. Uh, we don't have any property managers or, or on-site staff. We need to know what's going on in the space. We need to know if there's um, a humidity issue. We need to know uh, how, how often people are coming, um, what exactly that they're doing. And so we're actually testing out an AI-powered um, uh, security camera monitoring system to learn customer behavior and to detect unusual activity. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, so that, that's the access security IoT piece. Uh, we have a content management system that manages our, our entire website. So everything that you see on the website um, is not custom built. Everything is, is done through a, a, a CMS, which essentially makes it easy to update. You don't need engineers to do it, but our, our marketing and sales team can do it. Uh, we have a, a pricing optimization feature where um, we're able to track uh, competitor data and really um, adjust our pricing depending on the day of the week, time of the month, um, and based on what's going on in the market so that we can um, compete on price. Um, and then, and I guess lastly, the, the big bucket is the customer experience. So managing the booking flow. Um, uh, and one thing that we do that I don't believe any other self-storage operator does is we require address verification. So for you to become a customer, for you to have access into a building, we need not only identity verification, but address verification. Um, we need to know, um, you know, look at a utility bill, a bank statement, and a school transcript. And um, that really gives our landlords uh, additional confidence about who's coming in and out and that their intentions are pure, right? Um, and uh, in some ways that might, that might prevent some sales, but those are sales that we're happy to give up, right? Because we know exactly who our customers are. Um, so, so the security and and um, identity requirements are really just next level. Nobody else is doing this. That's awesome. Staying at the forefront to power peace of mind and guarantee, you know, just uh, effective and good experience for everyone. Yeah. In the heart of Silicon Valley, there's an organization making waves in helping solve the housing crisis. Housing Trust Silicon Valley. At Housing Trust, they provide developer financing, homeownership assistance, and lender and broker resources to help create more equitable and affordable communities. Established over 20 years ago by local businesses, community leaders, and affordable housing activists, Housing Trust Silicon Valley uses transformative housing finance and public and private partnerships to create a strong, affordable housing market. From those experiencing homelessness to developers, renters, and first-time home buyers, Housing Trust SV is dedicated to ensuring that every neighbor has access to safe, stable, and affordable housing. Housing Trust SV is making a difference in the 14 counties of the Greater Bay Area and Sacramento. 
These are communities with a common need, more affordable housing and the capital to support its development. Join the Housing Trust SV in making a lasting impact on our communities. Housing Trust Silicon Valley, where innovation meets compassion. Learn more at housingtrustsv.org. The future of office. So, Kat, uh, you were the VP of real estate at Industrious, where you led the supply side business uh, to the what became the nation's leading premium workplace and co-working provider. Um, during this time, you guys were competing with uh, WeWork's uh, extravaganza and uh, just the rise of co-working as a, as a category. Um, take us back to that transition because I think there's a lot of similarities or parallels to for companies that are right now, prop tech companies that were venture-backed that had ambitious uh, business models and ambitious valuations. However, now they're facing the fact that they may have to transition to becoming uh, more sustainable businesses uh, and look a lot more similar to uh, real estate uh, fund managers, uh, which is still, you know, uh, still be a thriving business. I mean, Industrious became a rep, one of the most reputable real estate brands and with a great uh, sustainable business model. So we'd love to hear uh, from the inside, how was that transition? When I was at Industrious, the thesis was always employees, they want the de democratization of their real estate decisions. They don't want to necessarily be told exactly where to go or where to work, but have some optionality. Um, and I think, I mean, I fully believe in the office and the the um, importance of the office. My entire team is here today. And um, a lot of people flew in because we had a workshop. And everybody, you know, when I asked the question, what do you want to get out of this? I want to be able to just turn around and talk to somebody and engage and solve a problem really quickly. And I think in many ways, that's what um, that's what co-working does, but it allows you the optionality to be you know near your suburban home or to commute into the city and collaborate with your team. Um, and I won't tell you which, so I'm in a co-working space right now and um, it's not an industrious. The reason being is because at the time that I was looking for an office, industrious was completely sold out, right? This is post pandemic, completely sold out. I, as the VP or former VP of, of real estate and industries, couldn't even get an office. So I think that gives you a sense of, okay, what does the demand look like? Or or um, how much are, are companies and people looking to co-working uh, as a long-term solution? So I won't tell you where I am. I would much rather be in an industrious, but uh, I think that bodes pretty well um, for co-working and flexible office. I think owners recognize, hey, this is here to stay. Um, but they're still they're still swimming out of working out all of their leases with WeWork. So they're probably not jumping and get back in at this moment just because of the pain that they're feeling right now. Uh, but it doesn't it it doesn't um I don't think it takes away or or in um indicates anything about demand for flex offers. I think that's you know, that's a given yeah. now. No, I mean in terms of industrial business model, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now it's based almost entirely on landlord partnerships. Uh, which is totally different than from WeWork's model, uh, and it's pretty much yeah. designed to de-risk uh, the business model for the long haul, which is the the transition that uh, the thoughtful transition that industries went through at the end of the 2010s. Um, to put it into perspective, uh, WeWork's fixed expenses as a percentage of revenue are still about 75%, uh, even after they've reduced substantial debt. And I think industries are around 35 percent. Well, I'll tell you from the beginning, industries always looked at landlords like friends, right? And so we're going to build a business model that aligns interests uh, and allows uh, allows both 
industries and landlords to share in the upside. And that's really what we do at Stuff as well, right? Because we're a revenue sharing model or, or percentage rent, if we do well, landlords do well. And so we want to work together and, and um, communicate and, and help with marketing and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think the approach that we work took, well, one, just grow at all costs, really created, um, I guess a byproduct of that was, okay, now my landlord is my foe, right? If they, if I'm doing well, um, they don't get to share. And if I'm not doing well, they're going to suffer. Landlords will suffer. And you're seeing that play out in, in all the courts and the bankruptcy proceedings. So that was, I think the intention or the plan um, or even just the culture, right, was different um, from, from, from years ago. And I give a lot of credit to industrious leadership for always having that mindset from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, just for context, this week, beginning of February, we work, we work has rejected nine more leases in a court filing, including three in New York City uh, within RXR 75 Rockefeller Plaza, Walter and Samuels 214 West 29th Street, and Wasserstein Enterprises 115 West 18th Street. Um, meanwhile, we work has extended- I'll tell you, yeah. a, num a number of those landlords, uh, I think given the, what's going on, we work have reached out to us saying, hey, can you help? Hey, can you monetize this space? So, so I'm feeling what you're describing. Yep, that's uh, this is the the solutions for some of the landlords, right? They could, e even if they're wanting or hoping to keep co-working space in their buildings, who who says that co-working tenants uh, or don't wouldn't need uh, self storage uh, for their businesses or for their items? Um, I think it for it's sure. actually quite complementary uses. For sure. Yeah, not not always uh, dark in the transition of the co-working giant. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, WeWork has extended life on Dock Seventy Two uh, in Brooklyn Navy Yards okay. with Rudin, which I I recommend everyone to visit because it, I mean it's a masterpiece with unique Manhattan views, um, and then also Madison Capital Seventy One Fifth Avenue, uh, just west of Union Square. Um, yeah, according to Commercial Observer, however, it will hold on to these spaces under reduced rent, short, shortened terms, um, and without lease security. Got it. I've been to the uh, the Navy Yard location. It, it's gorgeous, exactly how you described it. Yeah, I mean, they even I think they even put a new ferry stop just for that building. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, the, the vision was bold. Uh, I still like it, but I mean, you also can't live. There, there aren't too many housing uh, supply near Ooh. the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Hard to get to. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's see. So, in terms of uh, you mentioned briefly office to storage conversion. I mean, but what what's what's going to happen? So we're gonna have reduced footprints. Uh, you know, in terms of the the occupier demands, more flexible lease terms. That means more uncertainty for lenders and owners and managers. But you know, what what will the future of office look like? Will it have more storage within it? Or do you see any other uses that could replace it or I mean what's really the bottom for like class B or class C office buildings that are either poorly located or not designed to meet today's market needs. I would love to say all of those class B and C buildings will be stuffed one day, right? A stuff storage location. Amen. But I think if yeah, if I'm being um realistic and if I put my landlord or developer hat on, I think a fair amount of them will will have office to resi conversions. I think you have a big affordable housing problem here in New York City and elsewhere throughout the country. Um I think you'll see uh, uh potentially more creative uses, more um just making this up but podcast studios, more light manufacturing. Um, I look at Industry City as a really good, good um, example because they do so much there. Everything from retail to F&B, light manufacturing, um, bakeries on site, uh, industrial bakeries. Like, So I think 
there's got to be a, a new way to reinvent these class B and C buildings. I think office is going to be a very challenging use to keep uh, pushing forward on. Um, so, so the more creative they get, the better. And I think storage um, stuff specifically is one of the ones who will benefit from that. Those are a lot of the, the owners that either reach out to us that, or that we're having active conversations with. And I think it depends on the market that you're talking about. I think um, what I'm describing, I'm, I, I really see for New York, I think when um, just taking a temperature on developers or owners who own in Cleveland or Cincinnati or um, Kansas City, their options are a little bit more limited, right? And so that's where you might see larger um, change of use for the entire building, right? From office to now storage. That's where I think you see something bigger. Um, but I, I just hate the question of what's the future of office. I just, I don't know. I'm, I don't think I'm the, the smart enough to figure that out. But I do know it's a, it's a combination of a lot of different solutions that will have to make it work. And I think lenders um, will adjust. Landlords will adjust their return um, expectation. That it, that just needs to happen. It's yeah. not going to be the same anymore. Definitely happening. Uh, first of all, I think you're the first ever tangent guest to tell to say that you just hate a question straight up. We we should have more of that. I encourage. I encourage yeah. more of that. I don't like it. <laughs> I, I I encourage more of that. You know what? I think that's a stupid question. Um, no. Uh, I think in industry city is a great example because uh, you hit the nail on the head with creative. Uh, I think they just launched a new studio with uh, NYU and Martin Scorsese. So. Oh, wow. About, they have everything yeah. there. They even have the the nets, the practice. Uh, yeah. Pra Talk about creative arena. uses. Yeah. I think oh. we, we need more of that, more more entertainment, more more creativity. Uh, I think also Silver Arts within Silverstein's, is it for, for Wall Street? For It's in downtown in Fidei, uh, Silverstein Properties. They launched uh, something called Silver Arts where they're, uh, it's like we work for artists. So... Oh. Very yeah, cool. we actually might have them on the pod, spoiler alert, but uh, people should check them out as well. I think they're doing great things for the community, but also for the ecosystem of a traditional, I mean, it's a modern office building, but in terms of traditional uses, uh, mixing yeah. creative space, uh, you know, it just, it, it's better for the neighboring tenants, better for the ecosystem and better for the community. One of my friends is um, a principal at a, a standard real estate. So they do mission-driven multifamily development. They have a project in Bushwick and, and we had breakfast a couple of days ago and she was talking about, oh, there was actually office space that we had um, had slated for a traditional office, but they're actually now going to launch a podcast studio or podcast business in that office space. Um, and you would know more than me. <laughs> Sign us up. But I think there's, there's going to be quite looking. a, exactly, quite a bit of demand, I think, especially in the Brooklyn area, specifically Bushwick. Um, but I think that's such a good use or or a way to pivot from traditional office. Um, and, yeah. and that project's launching soon. So shout out to them. And, and um, yeah, you should check it out. Flex Creative Space. Uh, we'll make sure to and drop there. a link in the episode description. And I wanted to correct it. It wasn't for Wall Street. It's for World Trade Center. Uh, for the silver mm, art projects, close enough. That makes sense. Anyway, yeah. um, Kat, collaboration superpower. If you could pick one person, historic or living, to do a collaboration with, to do a partnership with, who would it be? Marie Kondo. Hell yes, Marie Kondo. Why? What would you do with her? I 
And I think self-storage gets a really bad rap for, hey, there's a bunch of quarters or it's a place where people put everything that they don't want. Um, but I think another way to reframe self-storage is, hey, this is actually a way to organize my life or to declutter my home and, and really think about the things I want to celebrate every single day versus something I want to keep but but can't, but don't want in my space all the time. And then I think Marie Kondo really brought that to the forefront. I think it was maybe pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she recently said, you know what? You can't get rid of everything. It's just impossible. <laughs> so I think she would be a really cool collaborator um, to That's help awesome. us reframe or rebrand how people consume or or think about storage. And um, if I thought about like an actual consumer brand, I think the container store would be a really cool one. The container store is wonderful. I Every time I enter there, I'm like, I want I, I want to buy more stuff. I just don't need it. But um, I know, but-, but it's going to organize your life. Yeah. Marie Kondo, for those who don't know, uh, the Japanese uh, professional organizer and consultant. Uh, I mean, it would be hilarious if Marie Kondo just goes 180 degrees and she's like, "I'm a hoarder now. We're doing a hoarder. Sh- <laughs> We're doing a hoarder show with stuff." Yeah. Well, she uh, she has that Netflix show. I don't know if there's like a season two or or whatnot, but I think she had kids and she was like, basically, all the advice I gave you thrown out the door because it's just impossible. It's she, hard. She had no. Yeah. She had no kids. She had no belongings, no responsibilities. Now she has kids and she realized that she needs crap to raise them oh kids man so much crap yeah <laughs> where, I guess they're uh, worth it. yeah cat where can uh, listeners learn more about stuff and connect with you yeah check us out stuffstorage.com and make sure you type s-t-u-f storage.com uh for any owners or real estate people who want to reach out and learn more uh info at stuffstorage.com is the place to go you can always find me on linkedin dm me um I will respond. Yeah. Excited to, to have shared the story and thank you for having me, Edward. Of course. Catherine Lau, founder and CEO at Stuff, the next generation self-storage startup delivering modern tech-enabled storage to consumers and businesses. Thank you so much for coming to Tangent today. Thanks for listening to Where Will We Work Now? The Future of Office, a Tangent original series. Don't forget to follow, rate and review us and share the show with a friend. This series is produced by Edward Cohen. If you'd like your company or organization to be featured across Tangent's community, you can email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And remember, collaboration is our superpower. So stay curious and always be learning.